We've been in a series about the authentic soul, and isn't it our heart to be connected to God? We, we say that in our, our values and our vision, our mission, our strategy. It's all about being connected to God. And when I saw this video, it was that sense of, oh my goodness, this is it. Because wouldn't we be pretty accurate this morning to say it's really easy for us to see the nails in everybody else? I would say as a Christian culture, it's really easy for us to see, uh, you know, I, I was reluctant to put up the picture of Pinhead. Anybody seen that horror movie? I'm not really a horror movie guy. He's got like nails all over. And I'm sure you might see people around you and thinking, wow, do they even get it? I think it is about the nail. But this morning, it's not about us pointing out everybody else's nail. It's about yours. It's about yours and mine trying to figure out where is God calling me to address something in my life that he's clearly established as something I should be doing or not be doing. I think this morning I want to talk about the discipline of obedience. And I've been teaching uh, quite a lot this, I think I've been eight weeks. And um, I am tired. I have a sense of like, where I become message factory and it's lost a little bit of its edge. But I have to say to you, I've probably been looking forward to this one. Because I've taught a lot of disciplines. The last two weeks we've taught about reading your Bible. Uh, and I I'm, I'm, was pretty uh, un, underwhelmed with coming to you and trying to come up with a creative way to say, hey, Christians read their Bibles. You know, and the, there's just not a lot of creativity to that. It doesn't feel like energizing and empowering, but it's true. Christians that are growing in Christ, that are moving forward in their faith, that are maturing, that are deepening, that are experiencing the transformation in their lives, are reading their Bibles. We should be reading our Bibles. Now, remember I said in the past three weeks, I'm not trying to guilt you or shame you. I'm trying to establish for us, how do we have souls that feel connected to God? you got to read your Bible. The next week we said you got to pray. It was great last week to, to pray together corporately, but... Christians that are experiencing the transformation in their lives are growing and deepening in their conversation with God. It's interesting how many Christians today will try to find a way around those two basic disciplines. Those two basic things that I believe begin to create an authentic soul. Not one that you feel like you get affirmed by everybody else, but one that you just feel at peace with. You have a soul that's at rest because you're, you're entering into the story that God's written in the Bible and you're in, in a conversation with him. This morning, I have a lot more energy. Look out. Because I love talking. I've never talked about this, but I feel like it's such a, a basic, but one that we don't want to talk about, that obedience is a discipline. If we could just think about the story, this video we just unfolded, that the nail in the head is that obvious thing that you know that God is giving to you in the scripture that says you should be doing or not doing that. When we we look at scripture, it's filled from cover to cover with instructions from God. Instructions that call us to live different. Not in a sense of of God wants us to have a bummer of a life here. I have friends that are, are don't know God, and some of them are agnostic and maybe borderline atheists. They don't believe in God. 
And all they see is God as a bummer religion that creates a ton of rules. When the scripture is giving us these guidelines, it's more freeing to us and it brings us more back to a place where and it's, it's to restore us. I believe that it is about the nail this morning. But maybe a little bit different than that, not about us trying to find the nails in everybody else. Couldn't we agree? Every one of you this morning saw people walking in with nails sticking out of their head, right? Stuff they should be fixing. Stuff they should be fixing in their own life. And it's so easy for us in, in the church to begin to look at everybody else and say, well, I've only got one nail, they've got like eight, right? That might have been the person you came to church with this morning. I don't know. But this morning, I want you to to just focus in with me that it is about the nail, and it's about you recognizing in your life, if you're sensing, didn't you love when she's saying, there's a pain somewhere around here, and didn't you love his eyes, like, trying not even to look at her, like, it's right there. Some of you feel an ache, a sense of loss, a sense of disconnectedness to the Father. As we said in the first two weeks, begin to read, begin to pray, but can I put a third installment is it's beginning to focus and get that nail out of your head and that's be obedient even the word obedient has a sense of tension to it doesn't it it's it's this word of when we say that we think of parent to child be obedient listen to your parents it it could have some military uh, tone to it of be obedient to the to the commander that you're serving and, and you are to, to, to surrender yourself to their orders and commands. It could be to, to owner and pet, you know. My wife was so begging me to bring Thor, you know, here and like display his great discipline of obedience. You were about as uh, excited about that as I was. So, yeah. I, but there is a sense of like dominance, of of domineering, of authoritarian, and we're like, ew, I just don't like that. And so in our nature, it's, it's, we're not wired to love to be obedient. Some of you recognize this with your children, right? Some of you recognize this with yourselves. I don't want to do that. Why, what are some excuses that we have about why we don't obey? If the Bible is filled cover to cover with instructions for obedience... What were some of the excuses be? One of them was be, I don't agree with the Bible. Believe it or not, I've heard this one from some Christians who, who have said, I don't agree with the Bible. I, I, don't, I don't agree with it. And, and that's well for that person if they want to believe that. My question is then, what are you standing on? What is your faith grounded on? If really you don't agree with the Bible, then what do you agree with? Thomas Jefferson felt this way, and he didn't agree with the Bible. In fact, he didn't like some of the ways the Bible asked him to do things. He didn't feel good. Remember her reaction? You're just trying to fix it? Just make me feel good. The Bible says in the end times that people will gather themselves and find teachers that will tickle their ears. The phrase is is that, They're going to look for teachers to, don't tell me about the nail, just tell me I'm okay. Just tell me I'm okay. And so Thomas Jefferson felt this way, and so what he did is he took scissors and cut out everything he didn't like in the Bible. It's called the Jefferson Bible. You can get it. 
it probably eliminates a lot of the problems, right? A lot of the stuff that's like, oh, I don't want to do that. It's the Jefferson Bible. And friends, when we start to go down that road, I question the foundation of what you stand on. Because if you're a Christ follower, you believe, as Jesus said, that the written word is inspired by God and it's profitable for our lives, period. And so that's why we're calling you to read it. I don't agree with the Bible. Another one is why we don't want to obey is I try, but it's just too hard. It's too difficult. This is an interesting one, and I've heard this, and especially in the areas of addictions and some things that people struggle with, and it's just too hard, it's just too hard. And I, Granted, you can't do that alone. Many of the discipline of obedience calls us back into community for accountability. But I find it interesting, those same people have lots of energy for work and being successful, have lots of energy in saving and investing their finances and in buying cabins and buying things. They may have lots of energy to go fishing and get up early in the morning. I find it interesting, even this morning, now, again, this is no heavy conviction, but think about this. Our 815 was filled. Now, I just want you to know, many have told us in surveys that 815 is way too early. We would never go to the 815. I think there's a little asterisk there, right? Unless it's a Packer game at noon. I'm going to call the Packers and say, could you do a game every Sunday for the rest of the year at noon? I try, but it's too hard. I say, wow, is that, is that your statement to the Father? Will that be your words to Jesus in heaven saying, I really tried? Another excuse is it's not realistic. Come on. The Bible's full of crazy stuff, and it's not realistic for any of us to follow all of them. You couldn't do it. Don't you think God would have written that in there? Oh yeah, by the way, thouest doesn't have to followest all of the rules. It doesn't. It says that all Scripture is inspired by God profitable. It will change our lives. It will transform us. The last one is I don't want to. And believe it or not, I believe this is the most common I hear from Christians. I just don't want to. When you know, couples that are living together and experiencing sex outside of marriage, and however that looks, even though the Scripture calls them not to do that, it's, I really don't want to change that. If it's asking them to move away from a relationship or from an addiction or the way they think about what they've been given by God from finances to time, I often hear the phrase, I just don't want to. And it brings me back to the days of when I would hear my parents and I would feel that sense of rebellion in my soul. That's my sinful nature and saying, I don't really want to. I don't want to change that. That's the biggest, that's the most common I hear. It's why I want you to understand this morning that I don't think this is just an easy switch to say, everybody start obeying. If it were, I think we'd have a lot of believers that were on fire and experiencing amazing things. And I think we do have that. I think there are people that are committed to this idea of obedience. But friends, it's a discipline. It is a discipline. What is a discipline? Listen to a couple of the definitions from Scripture of some of the words used to talk about discipline. Restoring one to his senses. That's very different than disciplining yourself uh, and staying away from fun, right? Or what's really fun in life. It's saying, 
restoring one to their senses, meaning you're not making sense when you're living disobediently. I, I use the one with sexual immorality because it's so common in our culture today and it's, it's, it's all over media and it's just commonplace. But the scripture says you're not making sense of life. In fact, you're, you're going to wreck your life if you're operating in that sphere. It's not that God's a big bummer and he wants to just like have you suffer. Friends, if, if we wait till we feel good then begin to obey, you're, you're going to find a miserable, un- untransformed life. You're going to find yourself destroying your soul. Much of obedience is not left around feeling. And so it says to restore one to their senses. It's like the, the drunk. It's like the one that's high and saying, let that stuff detox out and move away from how you're not supposed to be, and you're going to start to find something different, to moderate, to control, to curb. Friends, we're not to to just drink in everything in life that the culture does. I love this line when someone says, everybody does it, and I said, well, what, 20 billion people are served at McDonald's. That doesn't mean it's healthy, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that are eating that stuff, but it's probably not the best for you. God has so much instruction for us to say, it's not going to be good. Yeah, I'm sure the world's doing that. And the world's drinking in so much right now, from sexual immorality to the greed, to pride, to arrogance, to all these different things that we've just allowed in our lives. It says to moderate, control, or curb. To hold one to his duty, calling to soundness of mind, to moderate and bring self-control. Discipline. Discipline. Now, what does it mean to discipline? What does obedience look like? I love the definition of obedience in the Scripture. It's very different than our understanding today. The way our obey or obedience would be described, especially in the Old Testament, was be to hear or hearken. We don't hear that word much these days. But it's not just hear. See, we have a culture right now that says, I'm going to hear something, and then it's like I'm hearing it over here, and now I have all this time and space to think about Do I agree? Do I want to? Should I? And then we make this choice whether we're going to respond or not. In the Old Testament, what it was is once they heard God, it had an active response of faithful obedience. We heard it, boom, we're making the move. Even when they didn't understand. Even when they didn't like it. Even when it wasn't planned out. Do you know how many times in our culture today we operate so much around control that we want to, want to map it all out? Well, I'll wait until God makes the plan clear. It's the Israelites who God says, hey, pick up the ark, right? In Josh, Joshua, the book of Joshua. He says, all right, just I'm going to say pick up the ark and follow them and nothing's going to happen until your feet are wet. You're in the Jordan and then it's going to part. I think often God's calling us to move. Listen to my words. You've all said it as parents, right? Why should I do this? Be quiet and just do what I say. Now what I love about the Father is He is not a God that's slamming us and forcing us to obey. He's saying, can you just listen? I created the earth. 
I created every molecule and atom on the planet in the universe. I think I know what I'm doing. To attend carefully, to take care of, to guard, to keep, to be obedient means to listen and respond immediately no matter how we feel, no matter what we think, no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, no matter how much in opposition the world may say you are. Be obedient. Read from Genesis to Revelation. You're going to read hundreds and hundreds of stories of men and women who were called and heard the words of God to be obedient. Obedience is a discipline. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Could I, could I in, encourage you this morning? It is about the nail. But it's about the ones that you're dealing with in your own life, that your belief and your obedience are intrinsically tied. They're connected. And that means if you're saying you're a believer, obedience should be just an active part of your journey. And that your belief is probably pretty shallow if you're not being obedient. Those two go hand in hand. I want to give you seven characteristics this morning of obedience. And I want to finish with a story. But I want you to listen to these this morning because I think they're going to shed some light a little bit about this idea of, about obedience and the discipline of obedience. Because if we're reading our Bibles and we're conversing with the Father, we're praying to God, we're saying, God, man, illuminate the passage this morning or in this evening or whenever I'm reading this and make your words you know, sink into my life. At some point, there's going to be that Holy Spirit knock on your door. Uh-oh. I got to stop that. I got to start that. It's going to happen. Some characteristics first obedience accompanies faith. This is important this morning because what we're not saying this morning is be obedient and win God's favor or impress God with that. It says obedience accompanies faith. Uh, the passage in here in Hebrews 11 says this, and without faith it's impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God, must believe that he is, exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. God said there's a way to have relationship with me, and that's through Jesus Christ, and it's through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's for by grace we've been saved through faith, not about ourselves. It's a gift from God. But at that point... The response of that faith and grace comes obedience. So verses later, verse 8 says, By faith, this example of Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. An obedience that follows this faith, that, that's, that happens when I believe in God. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what it's going to feel like, but I'm going to do it. It follows faith. Obedience is commanded. We don't like hearing this as good Americans, but it's true. Your Bible, are, your Bible is filled from cover to cover of commands from God, and one is to be obedient. Be obedient to the things the Father has called us to live like. Be obedient in staying away from 
Do you realize the things that God has called us to stay away from often are because we can't handle getting into them? There's a reason why there's so many laws about sexuality because we, when we get pulled in, it's, we, we're trapped. There's a reason why he talks about you know, being drunk and, and don't love wine too much because this is why. There's a reason why he talks about foods and he talks about the way we relate to neighbors and people. All these are around laws and commands that will help us. They'll guard us. But they're commands. They're not options. There are commands like share your faith. I don't know if you knew that. There's commands to say, hey, if you love me, you'll talk about me. Hey, if you love me, I'm commanding you to forgive other people because I forgave you. Friends, these are not options. Psalms 119, verse 4. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. As a Christ follower, as someone who loves Jesus, it has to be at a point where you get up every morning recognizing I have to discipline myself to be obedient. Because I don't know about you, but I know, just like Paul writes in Romans, I war with my own soul. The battle that that Paul will talk about with Timothy, fight the good fight, is it's in my own life. I don't have to worry about everybody else or the world. I'm fighting my own battle, my own battle of flesh. And it takes a determined effort to say, I'm going to discipline myself toward obedience. James 1, 22, but... Be doers of the word, not just hearers. So many people listen. We have so much information about God. I'm sure this week you had a chance to listen to the radio and Christian music and messages and read books. Do you realize you have more information this morning by reading the paper than someone in the 1800s in their entire lifetime? You probably have enough knowledge about God and the Scripture to even if they were disappeared, they were, they were removed from our country, you would have enough to be obedient and follow God in. So be doers of this word you're hearing and not just hearers, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, say it this way. If anybody hears something that they're to be obedient to and don't do it, it's like a man who looks at the mirror intently and forgets what he looks like. There are a lot of people today that know a lot about God but aren't doing anything about it. Think about that. As, as we think about obedience, it also accompanies the fear of God. There is a sense, a healthy sense, of, of awestruck fear about God. I mean, think about it for a moment. If the creator of the universe, every molecule, molecule and cell and atom in the planet in the universe to, is, is to make himself known. We couldn't even handle his presence being in front of him, but think about Moses in a burning bush. Think about John as he's teleported into heaven to see the throne room and the angels. There's a sense of awe and reverence that you'd be put to your knees. We would be dropping to our knees in a sense of, I will obey. There's a sense of fear that accompanies this, not abusive fear, but a sense of, I need to listen to this one. First Samuel 12, if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord 
And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. I think sometimes we don't recognize that there's a cost for our disobedience. Not like God's waiting to punish us, but there are ramifications for our decisions. If we look at the scripture and say, well, I don't agree with that and I'm just going to do it anyway, why is it that we're surprised when there's a pain that we start to feel? When there's an ache and a longing and something missing? Because God's called us to obedience and says, I need you to fear the under- and, and know the understanding that I have called you to this. There, there's a price to pay. Obedience accompanies repentance. I love the passage of 1 Corinthians that says that godly sorrow is sorrow that just doesn't say I'm sorry and continues in it. It responds by moving away from sin. There are a lot of people that say they're sorry, but do nothing about it. Godly sorrow moves toward active repentance. It says, I'm moving away. I'm now changing my way. You ever been lost with your spouse and you picked the route that was wrong? I never picked the wrong route. It's just I'm taking a different way. No, it's at some point you've got to recognize I picked wrong. Father, God, I'm sorry. I've taken the wrong way. I need to get back to the way that you've called me to. Isaiah says it this way, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are all like red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. It's like if you're just willing to say you've gone wrong. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those who are in her who repent by righteousness. We're called to move away. We're called to repent. Obedience reflects the love for Jesus. This one is going to be a hard one. When you love something, you move toward it. You make decisions around it. Your life begins centered around it. When I first uh, saw Trisha, it was at Moody Bible College, and we, were, uh, we had to go to chapel every day. So abusive. No, I'm just joking. Chapel every day. And I remember sitting in the balcony, and there was one great-looking gal that would always be late. And I'm so thankful she was always late. And that was Trish. And then I got to meet her, and then it was this, this is what my inner dialogue was saying, I will do anything to pursue the love of that one. I will do anything. What is your love for Jesus like? Is it, I will do anything? No matter how scary it is, no matter how hard it is, I will do anything for you, Father. Listen to John's words, the disciple John, if you love me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not if you love me, you'll pick and choose the top five that are easiest for you to do. It's not if you love me, you'll try really hard. It says if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Friends, this is not a guilt on you. This is for all of us to feel the weightiness of obedience and the discipline that it calls us to. It says in verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is one who loves me. That one loves me. That one loves me. That one loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Isn't that beautiful? It's a marriage. It's, it's a small picture that I get to experience here on earth with Trish that I'll do anything for, and I fail often. But I enter into a love relationship where I get to receive love, and it's such a powerful picture of multiplication of what we could feel in heaven from God. That when we follow him, it's a reflection of our love. And he's so longing to love us back. Obedience is hard. Do I hear an amen? It's hard. It's difficult. This is not easy stuff. If it was, we'd have super Christians everywhere. But the reality is, I'm sure when you walked in, it was easy to recognize everybody else's nails. This is a difficult area for us. I think in some ways, to call you to read your Bibles is easier. To call you to pray, I'm in a 40-day prayer journey, and I'm going through that, and I, again, I invite you in, and I'm, I'm cutting stuff out of my life. So I, the first day, every day I'm dropping something else out of my life for 40 days. And so I, the first day... I said, what's consuming some of my attention? And I, I removed all social media from uh, all my devices. And I'm here to say after seven days, I'm alive. I'm, I'm, a, I'm surviving. Facebook, I didn't need it to breathe. I thought I did. It's hard, though. Cutting out stuff of your life it takes work. It takes energy. It takes effort. First Timothy says, Paul will say to, to Timothy this timid disciple, says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women, but on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's one of my favorite verses. You're not disciplining yourself so that everybody looks you know, at you at church and like, woohoo, what a super Christian. You're disciplining yourself so that your soul grows deeper and more authentic with the one that loves you you become a godly person. But godliness is profitable, or for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Discipline is hard. Being obedient is difficult. Even as I talk this morning, I know if I touch on areas of addiction, of greed, of forgiveness, of sexuality, all these are, these are like the hot buttons in our culture, and it's the, oh, I know I have something in this area, but can you not point it out? It's hard, isn't it? And I don't know how you avoid that if you're talking to God and you're, you're opening your Bible and there's that, that verse that you've read a hundred times, but for somehow, some way, it just goes, it lands right between your eyes. It's like the big pointer pointing at the nail. And then you try to work around it. Well, maybe I'll debate the passage and maybe I'll, I'll seek some counsel, right? Because it's, maybe I'm interpreting it wrong. I think sometimes, friends, we, we sink so deep in this book that's just pretty obvious. Hey, don't do this. Hey, be doing this. 
Obedience is good. What's so amazing about obedience, some of you have experienced this. It's that thing you didn't want to remove from your life or the thing that he's calling you to do, and you struggled and you fought, just like many of the people in Scripture. You fought it. I don't want to forgive that person. You guys, there are people I don't want to forgive. Can, as a pastor, that sounds very unholy, right? There are people I just don't, everything in my flesh is no way. But I could tell you, every time I follow through on obedience, it's good. It's like being, it's like sobering up. It's like coming into a new place, and it's like, that is freeing. It's not debilitating. It's not bondage. It's not holding me down or weighing me down. It is freeing. Again, that first Samuel passage, I'll read it again. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against his commandments of the Lord, the bottom part, it will be well. For this is the love of God, First John, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Let me just read a couple of the promises that when you're obedient, just some from the Bible. God promises to the obedient his love and faithfulness. If you're obedient, he gives you peace and guidance. If you're obedient, he gives his spirit to you. If you're obedient, you have communion with Christ. Some of you feel distant from God, you feel a connection. If you're obedient, you have entrance into the kingdom of heaven, you have eternal life, you have future prosperity if you're obedient. You have help in the time of trouble. He preserves the lives of those who are obedient. Doesn't mean you're immortal. Just means he preserves your life. He gives you rest. He gives you salvation. Success in various ventures. God promises if you're obedient that you have success in things that you try. Wisdom. Answered prayers. He gives you blessing. He delivers you from judgment. He, he will fulfill his covenants with you. He will honor you. Get this one, the last one. He'll make his love complete in you. He's going to change your heart if you're obedient. If you're obedient. Jesus in Matthew is going to talk about judging, and he's saying it's no place for us to begin pointing fingers at other people. In fact, if you do, if you're a nail finder, that's like your mission in life, figure out where everybody else is wrong in the world. He says, that the energy you're putting into that, I'm going to put back on you and give you just what you did to them. And so then he'll call out his disciples in Matthew and say, be as innocent as doves and shrewd as serpents. He's trying to tell his disciples to, to have these two things, this loving grace that I'm giving you, this innocence. But be very keen and aware of the world. Madangan writes it this way. I love how she says it. It says, the harmlessness of the dove consists in not judging one another. This dove picture, it should be like the video we watch where we're sitting down and our first conversation isn't, hey, dude, you have a nail in your head. What the heck's going on with you? It should be that we're saying, wow, your life feels hard feels difficult. There's an innocence to that. There's a, there's a grace to that. But then it says the wisdom of the serpent is distrusting ourselves, recognizing the work is about us. Jesus will talk about this in the story in John chapter 8. It's the woman who was caught in adultery. Let me just read it. 
But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple, and the people were coming to him. He's starting to teach in the temple, and he sits down and begins to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were the religious lawyers of the time. And by the way, the laws at this time had continued to increase. That's what we do when we get religious. We create more laws. And so it started with the Ten Commandments. It grows to about 637 in the Old Testament. It's now at 6,000 religious laws. And so the scribes and Pharisees bring a woman caught in adultery, having set her in the center of the court. Talk about humiliation. Caught in your sin. We don't even know if she's fully clothed. We don't know what it's like, but she's brought there. Notice that they didn't bring the guy. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman's been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? What are they trying to do to Jesus? Trap him. They don't even bring the guy because they're trying to put Jesus on the spot. If Jesus says, yes, that's Mosaic law, stone her, he loses the followers about I love sinners and I give grace. Jesus is not approving of sin. But if he says, no, I don't obey Mosaic law, they have him on another one. They said, well, then you don't obey what your father set up that you're claiming to have. Look what he does. They were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stoops down and with his finger begins to write in the ground. Some scholars say that he wasn't, uh, they don't know what he was writing, but some scholars say that he was writing the sins of these Pharisees and scribes. So let me give you a different picture. It's these men who pull this woman and saying, Jesus, there's a nail in her head. It's obvious, isn't it? What do we do with that? And I, I could see Jesus writing and saying and writing all the nails of pride, self-righteousness. Maybe he wrote, so all of you have nails in your head. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightens up and says to them, which one of you are without nails in your head? Let them be the first to throw the stone at her. Again, he stoops down and writes on the ground, and when they heard this, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. Isn't this a great picture? You know, as we get older, what do we recognize? That ache actually is our nail. Yep, you got me. When they heard it, began to go out one by one, older ones first, and he was left alone with the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus says to her, woman, where are they? Is no one going to point out the nail in your head? He says, no one, Lord. Jesus says, I'm not either. Jesus is not approving of sin. He's not approving of it. What does he say to her? He doesn't even point out the issue, the issue of adultery. He doesn't even mention that. He just says, go and focus on your own nails. Go and sin no more. Move toward obedience. Isn't that a grace-filled God that's not approving of sin, but saying it's not just about adultery. It's about the nails in our head that we begin to, to, to form when we're disobedient and not practicing the discipline of obedience. This morning, it is about the nail. But it's not about the nail for everybody else. It's about yours. What's yours this morning? What's the area that God is just shouting to you in your life saying, can you focus on what's going on in your own life? 
This morning as you go to the cross and as the team comes up to sing, to lead us in, in music that draws us towards obedience, can you think about you? And the nails that God has illuminated for you in your own life, and he's saying, I still love you, and there's grace. And you don't have to impress me, but I'm calling you out of the disobedience. There's instructions about going to communion. The scripture says that we are to come only if we know Jesus. You don't come as a religious act of tradition. You come as a response of love to God that says, thank you for the gift of amazing grace. But here's the second qualification. If someone you know has a problem with you, if there's division around you, if there are nails in your head around restoration in relationships, don't bring a gift to the altar. Some this morning need to focus just on the nails that we all have. And I'd challenge you and pray that God puts a heaviness on your soul to focus on your nail, to become a person of disciplining yourself in obedience. Father, we pray this morning for the Spirit to lay heavy on all of us for something we need to pull out of our lives. And that, God, we might have love and grace for all those around us that we all walk around with these nails. And, God, just to love one another and challenge and encourage one another to do the work on our own lives. To encourage one another to love and good deeds, to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.